Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman Brown, and I am joined today by Bob Ashcroft. Bob has been through a number of traumatic events throughout his life, and yet has stayed resilient in order to overcome all of them, now competing in Spartan races. I think once you listen to his story of no excuses, you will realize that you too have no excuses to not to do those things that you want to do. So let's tune in. Bob, how are you doing today? Good, and yourself? I'm doing amazing, thank you. All right, so I wanted to get you on here. Um, we talked a little bit in the past about kind of everything that you've been going through, what you're dealing with, and um, how we can best maximize all of that in order to get you competing with, or getting you um, be able to continue doing these Spartan races. And so, um, based mm-hmm. on your story, what we've talked about, I really want to get you on here to um, just really share with people the whole, like, your mindset and mindset in general in order to kind of overcome everything you have, because you have a pretty um, involved and amazing story. So, um, mm-hmm. and let's kind of get into that first. You've been in a number of pretty severe traumatic accidents. Um, I want to want you to give a little bit of that background first. Okay, uh, nine car accidents. And the first one was during my first year of college. And we were, I was in a play and it was the last weekend we could go home um, to our families before we had to stay at college and practice and for the play. So on the way back, I was in the killer seat and uh, four other girls, one was driving three in the back seat and we were in a 1961 um, Dodge Valiant. And anyone can remember what a Dodge Valiant and it looked like a tank. It was metal, they had metal, metal dashes, no seat belts. And so we were up on the interstate and the girl driving fell asleep and she hit the gas pedal. When she hit the gas pedal, we rammed into a Toyota, brown in color, because I ended up going through the windshield and seeing the car. The rear end of the car saw that it was a Toyota, and I don't know how I remember it was brown. Surprised I don't remember the license plate number. <laughs> but then I, I came back into the car. And so when I came in, the windshield tore my face off. And uh, she went, hit the car, went over and hit the guardrail. And uh, she had broken her ribs. I was sitting there. I walked down. I had a striped shirt on that I turned uh, looked at, and it was red. And when I turned around to the back seat to see how the girls were in the back, they all screamed, and one passed out. the police came, ambulance came, policeman put me in his uh, car because this was in the October time frame, so it was cold out. He put a blanket on my face, and I always have a kind of a humor to me, especially when things are in a tragic type of uh, environment. And he came back and asked how I was doing. And I said, well, I'm not doing too good, too well, but my Timex is still running. And what was kind of odd is that I actually had a Timex watch on and it was still running. (laughs) So they, so they got me in the ambulance, got me to the hospital. And the surgeon was an Asian surgeon and he asked me, who do I want to look like, Robert Redford? And because he had to rebuild my nose and face. And so ended up actually the healing period, because I was 18 at the time, was very quick. And people always ask me, you know, why don't you have any scars from that? And I'd asked my doctor, and he said that uh, with glass cuts, if you have a good surgeon, and they do good suturing that you'll never see the scars on it. So that was the first one that was uh, uh, fairly traumatic. And then six years later, 
I was at my parents for Thanksgiving in Philadelphia. I was living up in Massachusetts. I was driving home and I fell asleep and went off the road and hit a pile of rocks from construction. It was on Interstate 95 when they were making it into six lanes. And I woke up with my spine snapping when it hit the rocks. The car careened on down the road. When it came to the stop, the car had buckled into a V and the transmission was actually up at my side. Uh, I was in a Ford Pinto, which was known for exploding upon impact and I could smell the gasoline. So I tried to get out of the car. I was in a chain to the uh, seatbelt and I found I couldn't move my hips. I couldn't move my legs. So I, I still had movement of my hands. It took me a little while. Popped the seatbelt, and luckily the windows had all um, popped out. So I was able to crawl out of the car, and I fell into the ground or the mud, actually, on my back. And they said that's what saved me because it froze my back. And that occurred around midnight. And hours later, um, a state policeman came by. I was out, revived me, got the uh, ambulance in, and I remember coming into the hospital and looking up on the wall and seeing the clock saying 5.30 a.m. So I had, he probably didn't find me for well over four hours. I was just laying out, out there. Um, I was put into ICU because I couldn't breathe on my own. Uh, the only thing that was working was my heart and my brain. And so they had me on life support, tubes all over inside of me. And it was actually St. Anne's Hospital um, up in Massachusetts, which was a teaching hospital. So every day, the various classes would come in. And they had a big whiteboard back then. They had nothing, no TVs, electronic back then. And they had my body diagrammed up there, and then they had also diagrammed my body itself with magic marker all over. And it came down, it was about seven days, uh, and the, the uh, neurologist, the orthopedic were standing outside my room. And the neurologist told the orthopedic, you got to get his parents up here because he's going to die any time. He's not going to last. The orthopedic said, well, if he's going to die, I might as well just try an experimental operation. And kind of a note, my parents, my brother and my sister never made it up. I was up by myself going through this. And, you know, it's a key point because your self-reliance and resiliency comes out of moments like that. You're on your own. People who are so dear to you, such as your parents and your brother and sister, they aren't there. No friends are there. Nobody's there at all. You're on your own. You're going through a very substantial cornerstone of your life. And so, they, obviously, the, the operation was a success. Two things that... Um, they had done that were novel in the experiment was one, I was from what the doctor said, the first person to have back surgery and not use a body cast for setting the back. The other thing was for the operation, um, because the anesthesia would have killed me in the present state because my liver wasn't working. They went and got a kidney dialysis machine and put catheters down into the heart, rerouted the blood and called the anesthesia through the kidney dialysis machine. And I guess there was actually a third thing that they had done that kind of goes with the body cast. They went and took Harrington rods, which look like um, double-ended bumper jacks. They have little hooks. And they jacked the spine back into place because the spine had collapsed and had put pressure on the spinal cord down in that area, hence why I was paralyzed. 
So they jacked the spine back in place. L1, 2, and 3 were shattered like you would see a windshield into a million pieces. And they took wire and wrapped L1, 2, and 3 together so that they would stay in a vertebrae form. So success with that. I was in the hospital for a total of a month till they released me. And I went back in about 18 months later and they took the hearing cone rods out. And from what I have heard, they do not do this procedure anymore, but the doctor said I was very lucky that they did this because um, without doing any fusion, it allowed me to have a lot of my flexibility in my spine where Right now, they would just fuse L1, 2, and 3 together, and I would be a lot more rigid than I am now. So I was kind of fortunate at that point, but it took about a total of two years for me to learn to walk without any braces or walkers at all. And I went through a lot of traumatic um, self-identification who I was, dependencies and everything, you know, you, when I was released from the hospital, they had no program back then of taking you off the uh, morphine that you're on, you're just kind of sent home at that point. So you go through the different uh, drug issues and so drugs aren't the item that you're supposed to use, so then you use dependency on alcohol and you end up playing around with the alcohol. And so I ended up, after, really, after that, going back to school, finishing college, because I had not finished college. So I went back and finished that, and from that point going forward was just kind of integrating, trying to integrate yourself back into society. Uh, you aren't a normal person anymore. And so you don't want be known as the GIMP or the handicapped person. So you do everything that you can not to limp, not to show pain or anything at all, which, you know, that was back in from 76 going forward to now, and I still have that to deal with because uh, my right leg now is an inch shorter than the left leg which ends up showing up in the running, a little bit in the walking, et cetera. Uh, the pain, I learned to deal with it, but pain still hits. It doesn't, has not disappeared, although working with Spartan has definitely um, helped reduce it. And I don't, know, I don't know if it's really whole management of it, but I know that if I don't do let's say, extreme exercise like that. Uh, my muscles and everything are not sufficient enough to help me rise above the different um, muscle deficiencies I have. Uh, one thing that did occur back in that accident is that some of the nerves within the spine did not heal. So when I especially in the walking and running, I don't have all the nerves, especially in the right leg. So I have learned to overdevelop the muscles that I do have. But when I tire, those deficiencies show up. So for example, in the one, especially in the one Spartan race, a super sprint, which was 8.7 miles, I fell six times. And it was typically downhill when I was going down on my right foot and the right foot just collapses, or the right leg collapses and you fall. So you become a little bit more tentative when you run, especially as the time or in a race goes on. Uh, I've had several other accidents since then. Uh, some are minor. There was one that was another major one where it had been snowing out and I went through an intersection and my head had hit the win window and doctors in their analysis of me 
never could tell what was wrong with my nerves. Uh, one saw some white dots on the uh, brain, which is associated with MS. Other doctors said, well, you don't have MS. And so one doctor said, well, let's just call it that and treat it like that because the treatments and PT that you have for that align with what you would do with MS on it. Uh, so MS, for some people, they know what it is. They have friends who have it. But if they don't have an idea, kind of like the day-to-day -day with MS, uh, I tell people, everything that you do with your hands or feet or whatever, figure you have to do it twice. And I say, what do you mean? While you go to pick up a pen, you have to pick the pen up twice to be able to pick it up once. I uh, figure I break plates and glasses every week because you go to pick it up and the nerves don't get together to be able to hold the plate or the glass on it so it falls. Uh, I'm driving drinking coffee. Well, I know <laughs> I'm going to drop the coffee. It just happens all the time. And, you know, and, and, but it's embarrassing too because uh, let's say you go in line and you go to pick something up, you drop your tray. You go to get uh, the water or tea somewhere and you drop the cup and everything goes all over the floor. And you live with the embarrassment because people don't know your background. You're in a public place. Mm -hmm. And so these things you constantly battle because you look normal. And it's almost worse now because people see you now. And I look, you know, really in good shape and everything else. And they see trips. I trip a lot, just walk along because the right foot decides not to come along with the party. And people who know me, you know, realize and know and they understand. But I, I think the mental adjustment is the hardest with everything. Mm -hmm. um, some of the accidents, uh, there's some funny ones, I guess. I don't know how funny they are, but one I wasn't driving. I was actually, I had my own company and in the beginning I was installing computer systems in restaurants. And so it was midnight, I was installing one in a Burger King. And I was at the front counter. I get up from the front counter and a car was driving through the front door and hit me. And at that point, luckily, it really didn't break other than it just traumatized my spine. So I was in the hospital for a week to let the spine kind of settle down. Uh, another one was it was down in the D.C. area going on to the uh, loop. And it was at rush hour, very, very crowded traffic, and you go with the flow. Everyone's doing 50 miles an hour, and you're getting on to the ramp. And the tractor trailer I was behind stopped because a girl was on a bicycle riding across the ramp. And he stopped dead. I stopped and I went under the tractor trailer and then the other cars slowly kept pushing me further underneath the tractor trailer. Luckily, it was ended up, I don't know, three, four inches from my face back of the yeah, tractor trailer. But I got up and walked right out of that one. So, you know, you end up uh, sometimes looking at it and thanking God or whatever. Missed that one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think one thing through all of this is that going back to that 1976 accident, there was um, some side effects. One, the liver was severely damaged in that accident. And also remember, I had the kidney dialysis machine where they were transfusing blood into me. And I later found out that um, I had, it was called hep non-A, non-B hepatitis, which they then termed hep C. And so in the 1990s or early, I started my first treatment on the hep C. And the hep C slowly um, became worse. And when that started to elevate, 
the uh, liver started to uh, also go into uh, up in stages. And eventually, by the year 2000, I was in stage four liver disease, and Hep C was pretty wild. So the uh, doctor that I had said that whenever I get a new treatment, I want to use it with you because if it works on you, it'll work on anybody. You're my worst case on it. So I went through various treatments with it. And finally, it was actually two years ago, I ended uh, my fifth treatment, uh, which was called Harvoni. It was a six-month treatment that ended up eradicating Hep C. And then it took another year later for my liver to calm down with it. Now, kind of two things with it. I had gone through other treatments. Why didn't the other treatments work? I feel that through slowly getting my uh, eating habits in order, uh, you know, the, of um, making sure organic, non-GMO, et cetera. The other thing that I really tell people who I find out who are, you know, really sick is to purify your water. And it's not just a charcoal filter. That will get uh, the metals out, which is good and important. But ProPure, and I'm sure there are other devices out like it, it takes three hours for it to filter water. So it's a pitcher, and you put the water in three hours later, you have like a half a gallon of water to be able to drink. But it's that long process that it takes the chemicals out. And for me, my body being so delicate, it made a traumatic difference for me because after a couple of weeks of drinking that, which I just started uh, coincidentally, right before that fifth treatment, I felt a rush of energy in my body. So by eliminating all the chemicals that are present now in water, I could feel a difference. And I think that's what really helped me get through the treatment. Because the fourth treatment, the numbers of the hep C had actually gone down to zero. But as soon as I went off the drug, uh, the numbers went right back up where they were before so you wonder well was it the drug wasn't good enough or was it that my eating habits weren't good enough and I say more the latter because especially water is what 90 some percent of what you intake what your body is so if you clean that up first you're giving your body a, a chance to fight whatever disease you have so I think that really, really made a big difference. Um, I just want to rewind a second. Back in 1999, I had another operation on my back, actually three more. Uh, they found when they took the Harrington rods out, the doctor said they did not arrange my spine correctly. And so L5 was not sitting correctly on S1, and it cut the disc in half. So when I came in complaining of numbness and uh, pain down the extremities, he said, well, I can tell you why you don't have a disc. So they went and put a cage and two screws in the lower spine. So they did two more operations called rhizotomies, and that was to help reduce my pain. And the rhizotomy is they basically take um, a soldering iron, a real thin one, and they started up at T10, went all the way in two operations because it takes so long to do, all the way down to S1. They go in, they poke, and you're awake. And you, when you scream, they turn the iron on and burn the nerve off. So each operation was three hours. And they get it down, what, about four discs? Down that, the vertebrae disc areas of, of doing that, where they just constantly poke, yell, burn it off all the way through. And it does work, it does help some, it doesn't eradicate everything, but it does, you know, assist in alleviation of the pain. Um, the other thing probably didn't note through all this is that I kept going to the gym. And, and this goes back to the mental part of I think what you were asking before of how is it that you didn't give up? Because every time I would go in and see a new doctor, they were shocked that I was working. 
how can you work with your body, with the hep, with the liver disease and everything that's wrong with your spine and you can't walk right, your nerves and everything, how do you perform a job? And I said, I just do it. And where does that come from? And that's probably a good question. I think if I can answer that, probably make a lot of money on it, huh? But, uh, I think I, I think one comes from my parents with it. The instruction, my dad was in the army. And, you know, you have things you remember your parents. And I remember my dad coming in in the morning, taking a quarter and flipping it on the bed. And the quarter had a bounce. If the quarter didn't bounce, I had to remake the bed. So it was, it, it, it's just an idea of one of many things that he did to keep you aligned, keep you focused, you know, attention to detail. Mm -hmm. The other thing in high school, I was in wrestling and cross country. So I was sports minded. Uh, and wrestling, odd enough for our high school, um, it was the best year that the uh, high school had for a wrestling team ever to the date. We went undefeated in league. Eight of us were undefeated within the league, and then eight of us won the league championship on it. And I think that is probably the core of the medal, knowing that as an athlete, what it takes to rise to the occasion how to get up and, you know, when you're down on the mat, so to speak, how to get yourself back up on top again. Mm -hmm. And that's, that, that I, you know, you look at it and that's how important sports are, especially wrestling because it's individual. You can't blame anybody else. Yeah. You know, track is that way, cross country is that way. Those are individual sports. And if you don't do it, you can't blame anybody else. There's no one who said, well, this guy didn't catch the pass or whatever. You can't say that at all. So, you know, the self-reliance learned from that, I think, throughout my life helped draw me forward with it. Um, fear. I think fear is a big motivating factor with it. One, can you imagine if going down you can't walk again? You know, you've done that your whole life, and all of a sudden now you aren't going to be able to walk again. Mm -hmm. And what that does for you. And then you want to be like everybody else. You don't want to be excluded. You want to be able to go out like I like playing golf. I want to be able to go play golf. Uh, I want to, you know, be able to go out and ride a bicycle or whatever. And so you strive to be normal. And to do that, you got to do extra work. Mm -hmm. and is that extra work I have to put in, I probably have to do twice as much as somebody else just to get to the same point they're at with it. Um, with golf, there's a kind of a, I don't know, funny story, so to speak. Uh, I play with my doctor, and so we went on a golf junket down to Alabama, and this was after that second accident, where uh, in the snow, I had lost um, all the control of my nerves. It was more MS type related, and it took them three months for me to reconnect all my nerves. Uh, they had a hospital bed in the family room. My wife would get uh, the gentleman next door, get, and I was on a hospital bed, but they would then get me in a wheelchair, get me out, and he would help get me into the car. So that every day I go to PT. And they started with my toes and my fingers just reconnecting just like a baby. You know, move your big toe, little toe, et cetera, et cetera, in three months. And the drive for me is that within three months I had to learn to walk and get up and do stuff again. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to go on the golf junket. So <laughs> that was a driving force. And... You know, the thing is, well, my doctor's going to be with me, so it's okay for me to go. And we get up, um, it was Arnie Palmer course, and it was hole 10, which was a par 5, and it had a raised green. And along the, the three quarters of the green were uh, wood pilings. 
and they were about eight, 10 feet high, and then there was a swamp behind the green. My ball I had hit, it went past the green and just up short of the wood piling. And as we walk up, it starts to lightly rain. So my doctor said, you wouldn't believe what I saw. I see you up there, you go to chip. Next thing I know, I see you flying in the air and you disappear. <laughs> I, my foot had slipped on the piling and I, I went and flew up in the air behind and ended up in the swamp. <laughs> so they come up and they, yeah, yep. So my doctor, are you okay? And it's the type of thing that when you have a back injury, uh, like I have, um, the effects of a fall like that are not immediate, unless if I would have actually cracked the spine or something. But when I just jostle it heavily like that, I don't feel it. So I'm there, I feel okay, so we continue to play. We go about four more holes, I get up on the tee box, I go to swing, I fly up and lands flat on my back on the tee box because it slowly swells. Okay. And it takes about an hour. Yeah, it takes about an hour or so for that swelling to choke your nerves. And I've kind of learned this over time that if I do something, a fall or anything like that, I know I have an hour left. And this is going to relate right back to a story of Spartan racing to where I was out in Ohio, is the super 8.7 miles. Remember, I fell six times with a sixth time I fell. Uh, it was, they had actually arranged the, the trail on a dirt bike track. And so on dirt bike tracks, you have two runs for the dirt bike so they can pass. Well, this had a lot of up and down hills. Well, one of the last hills was fairly high and of course, I had fallen in the water and everyone else had too. We're getting up to this last big hill and it's wet. And of course, I go to put my right leg down into the groove and I fall and I go flying all the way down to the bottom of the hill. I land on my right shoulder and I just lay there because I can feel the impact on my spine. It hit me hard. A girl, the funny part is a girl walks up to me. She said, are you okay? Have you ever had a, any back injury before? And I just kind of laughed at her. I'm there, yeah. She said, well, let me go get the medics and stuff. I'm there, no. I'm there, here's some other guys coming down the trail. Get them and have them get me up. Because I knew I had an hour. Right? I had an hour yet. And I had... It was 8.7 miles. I only had about a quarter mile left. I knew I could finish the race. So I'm there just, the guys got me up. I, knew, I could feel I didn't break anything and I finished the race. But the hour came in and I could feel it. It really started, the pain and everything else came in. So just one of the learning lessons and everything from it. So going forward, I guess, kind of, I did Spartan last year, started in August. I got my trifecta, ran up a West Point for a sprint, the Citizens Bank Park for a stadium sprint, and then Ohio for the Super and Spartansburg for the uh, half marathon. Okay. One. So, okay. So this year I figured, well, I'll do age group this year. I'll go into competition, especially since they broke up the age groups into 60 plus before it was 50 plus. So I feel, well, maybe I'll have a chance. So as I'm training, uh, I went and I really turned my training up. And one thing that I do is I go to um, my orthopedic doctor twice a month and just to make sure everything I'm doing, I'm not hurting anything. I talk to her, she can feel and see exactly what's going on with my spine. Well, as I'm going in this heavy training back in January, I go to do a burpee. I was doing a, the uh, challenge where you do 100 burpees a day, 100 pull-ups a day, 100 second bed hang a day. And I get about to halfway through 
in the mid-month January and I go down and I'm almost done with my burpees and I go down to do, I think it was like number 86 and the pain shoots up. Horrendous pain. And so I went and I saw the doctor, I think it was like two days later and she x-rays it and here I have bone fragments in my right shoulder. And Right then, I couldn't figure out what had gone up, but think what had happened. The story I just told about out in Ohio where I fell on my right shoulder from a very high spot. I had bone spurs, and I fell all my weight on that right shoulder, so I shaved the spurs. Oh, okay. I created the bone fragments. Yeah, bone fragments on there. Oh, no. So, <laughs> you know, kind of a little side effect that I had from the fall, but at least I understood what it was and they're going to be doing surgery. I still can't do a full burpee at all. Uh, I modify my pull-ups. Uh, the doctor asked me not to do races, but I'm going to do Greek peak. So I'm going to do an open and I'll do modified burpees, even though they'll say, Hey, you aren't doing a full burpee. Well, I'll do what I can do you know, in the open. Exactly. On it. I won't do a, yeah, I, I registered for age group in June. I figure by that time I'll be back in shape again and be able to do full burpees when I can't do an obstacle. Honestly, awesome. the thing for me is do all the obstacles <laughs> with it. And not, you know, then you don't have to worry about the burpees at all. So um, I've gotten a couple other coaches to help me on everything. Um, one, I've always had a coach at the main gym I've always gone to. Uh, he helped me uh, walk again after the one accident. Oh, I had metal knees. Five years ago, they replaced my knees. Okay. So, okay. And he helped me walk again. So I see him once a week and kind of, well, you know, the other question always comes up, why Spartan? with it and what had happened was I was traveling more uh, with my uh, work I worked down in DC a lot but I grew up, live up in Allentown Pennsylvania so basically you leave a Sunday or Monday you come home Thursday or Friday and I always worked out with them on a Friday morning and even if I came home Thursday night it was late and I didn't go into the gym Friday morning I was just too tired so he said well I have a Saturday morning group that you can join. So they're anywhere from uh, two of us to six of us in the group working out. And they call it the Marine workout because one guy, Dave, is a Marine. And so I started that last April, May. And about June, Dave said, why don't you do a Spartan race? He said, you're in good enough shape to do it. And there, well, I have no idea what a Spartan race is. So you go up online, you look at it and everything. So that's how I started like the West Point then back in August. And that's when I turned 66. Okay. Back in August. Yeah. So it was a birthday present to myself. Nice. So, and that's where actually, you know, one thing as far as weight wise and everything, I have lost now, well, it was actually the end of, I maintained, the end of December, I lost 18 pounds over that past year, really, since I accelerated in May, okay. workout, heavier workouts, and lost three inches in my waist. Nice. Yeah, well, except for the pocketbook, you have to go out and buy new clothes. Minor detail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is kind of a nice thing to do, you guys, yeah get some new stuff a good reason to go out go shopping right there you With go it. so I, yeah some of the uh good side benefits you know of it uh then you feel better you have more energy with it um, so all around you know the, the spartan is the one activity i could do other items you know i could probably go do biking or whatever and train heavy for biking with same results Mm -hmm. Same thing if I would just, the problem with running is that trail running is a lot easier on your knees and your back where a lot of your regular running you're doing on asphalt. 
Yeah. And I know that when I go do any asphalt running or anything like that, because I've done some five and 10 Ks and when they're on more hard surface, my body feels it the next day. It's too much of an impact. Same thing like a treadmill. If I work out on a treadmill that it just eats my body up. If I go on non-impact, like a whip, some type of elliptical or a bike, I don't feel it nearly as much and I can work out a lot longer. Okay. So, yeah. So I work out five days a week, uh, take two days off for body to recoup. Mm-hmm. I have three of those days are typically pretty heavy, two hour plus workouts on And um, I like running with my dog. And nice. kind of the, the people kind of get a kick out of uh, when I run with my dog because he stops and sniffs. He'll stop to pee or whatever. And they say, oh, it's an easy run. And then, uh, uh-uh. Because when he stops, I want I go and I'll do squats. Okay, nice. So, so the other day we ran oh, about 1.6 miles, my dog and I. I did 130 squats and I did 90 lunges. Because sometimes he's sniffing around and I do lunges when he sniffs. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah, so that way, you know, and if anything, the reason I like to do that, because that's more of a Spartan mm-hmm. type, because a Spartan's not a straight run. You have to go, you stop, you do an obstacle and you keep going. And with my dog, I don't know when he's going to stop. Yeah, definitely. So it's really good. And the other thing that's good, I don't know when he's going to take off. <laughs> and when he takes off, I have him on a leash and he goes flying. So it's a really good exercise for me because when you go out yourself, you set your own pace. Mm-hmm. When I'm with him, he's, he sets the pace and I don't know what that's going to be. Okay. So he tells me when I, yeah, he tells me when to squat, when to lunge and when to run fast and when to take it easy. So it, it ends up being one of my better workouts when I'm with him. That's awesome. Uh, the other thing I try, yeah, the other thing I try to do that um, with runs, which I just started doing with this, I got a sixty-pound ball, and so I'll do a five k. And what I'll do is I'll walk uh, a tenth of a mile with the ball, put it down, run the five k, pick the ball up, run, and then walk point one mile back home. Okay. With it. You know, kind of a um, punching 5K, so to speak. <laughs> right. With a, on it. So I think I covered all the bases. You did. You covered a lot of my questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you mentioned as far as dropping things, um, how does that play into when you're doing a lot of the obstacles that require you to be able to grab? Do you find yourself like, hesitating at all or yeah yeah it's hard um monkey bars one i you know anybody who is short i'm not real i'm five eight so i'm not real short but i have short arms and if you ever notice especially if you go to spartan race people who have long arms they fly through because it's easy for them to reach up through the monkey bars and go over. And even like the twister, you know, if they have long arms, they, they skip along <laughs> because <laughs> they have long arms. So it's easier for them to do. So they say, Oh, just swing. Now that for me is a trick because you have to coordinate your body. And what's the key point in swinging? If you're going to swing, if you're hanging from a ring or a bar, what's the key point in your body to swing? I know it because I know where my deficiency is. Mm-hmm. In your kind of your hips, your lower spine. Because mm-hmm. you have to create that swing, so you have to go back and forth. Well, guess what I have there? Cajun screws. Yeah. So I have a lot of difficulty swinging because uh, my one coach at Soldier Fit, 
desk is trying to help me with that. He's on site, and it and it's so hard for me to swing and get a pendulum motion because I, the nerves aren't there, and I'm jerky with it. So you go, oh, swing, you just go back and forth. Well, I have trouble going back and forth. Okay. So the coordination, you lose the coordination is what happens. And then with the grip, yeah, you know, what happens when you, when you go to put your hand up and your hand doesn't go up? You have to have the strength in the other arm where you to go up and you come back. You got to go try it again. So, yeah, uh, it, it's what, two, three exponentially harder for me because going forward is much harder, especially when you have a long reach. Mm-hmm to go for because that means it's more swinging. Yeah, definitely. To do on it. So sometimes like, uh, what was it? Ohio. I saw they had the one where you go rings, the bar, and then they had a tether. And I just, I, I tried it the first time I got pretty far down, but when trying to go through that is so hard on the body that, and what happened, that was like you had to do the track three times. Okay. The modified runs. So there you have 10 obstacles, right? Well, you have to do each one three times. So if you can't do one obstacle, you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So when I came back to that one, instead of going and beating my body up, I just went and did the burpees on that one. It was less invasive on my body. Okay. Than that. The other one, which is why I bought got the and bought the sixty pound ball, is that Atlas carry, mm-hmm. where you have to go all the way down and pick it up. You know, think of my back. Think of picking up that Atlas stone. Yeah. And and it's not you pick it up once. You got to pick it up, go over, do five burpees, pick it up, and go over again. Well. I managed to do it twice, and when I came up to it a third time, you know, my nerves, everything was shot. I could not pick it up on that one. It was really tough, really, really hard to do. Okay. So there's certain ones. Certain ones that you would think would be hard, I usually don't have, like the rope. For some reason, I guess that's more based on upper body strength. And I don't use my feet. I just climb up with my arms okay. on it. Yeah, it's, it's easy. I know a lot of people that say that, too. They just go up with their arms because they can go faster. If you go with the feet, it it's, takes longer. Mm-hmm. Up with that, I guess, unless, you've, unless you've, you have really learned it, you can go you know, fairly quick. But um, I find it's just quicker to go up. Where that hurt me was at Spartanburg because they had rain for a full week before the race. And so when you got to the rope, the rope is drenched, didn't dry out, and the bottom 12 feet of the rope was mud. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so you couldn't get a grip with your hands. You had to use your feet to get up. If you didn't know how to use your feet, you, were, you weren't going anywhere with it. So I had to do burpees on that one. Okay. So, um, Spartan obstacles that typically don't bother me, the sandbag carry, mm-hmm. uh, for whatever, I guess because of upper body strength and leg strength, that's just putting something on your shoulders. Yeah. Walk them with it. Yeah. You know, which if you have the muscles, it's not a really, I mean, it doesn't make it easy, but it's not hard, mm-hmm. so to speak. With it, so certain ones aren't bad because of the training. With it, other ones are okay. Like the bucket carry, seventy-five pound bucket mm-hmm. going uphill, downhill. That's you know because that puts more of a stress for a long period of time. You know that you're trying to carry up front. Definitely. Now I worked hard on that. So when I was at Spartanburg, uh, I only had to rest once because you had to walk up and down the road. So you went uphill on the road and downhill. Okay. So I just took a good rest halfway and then came back, which before, let's see, Bucket Carry was at West Point, and that was terrible. 
because that was through the woods. They actually went, had to go in through the woods and up a hill and coming down was very steep. And you have a 75 pound bucket going down a steep incline. Holy cow, you know, it, it, it's scary. You yeah. know, with a, especially for me, if I fall, you know, I can really hurt myself with it, so, especially with a 75 pound bucket. Yeah. Stuff. So that, that, that's a, a fear that I have. And I actually, that's what I told Jess over soldier fit. I'm there. My biggest fear when I get up with these is that I'm going to fall and hurt myself, you know, permanently mm-hmm. on it. And stuff. So some people say you're crazy, and I'm there. Yeah, but that's how I got here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that resiliency. Yes, yes. Were you ever? Or should I should actually ask? How many times did physicians tell you that you aren't going weren't going to be able to do these things? A lot, because most of them can't believe what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But what's What's interesting is I went in December and saw my knee surgeon and I asked him because of some people said, well, you can't, you shouldn't be running with metal knees. And so I asked him, I'm there, am I hurting the metal knees? And and he he said, well, it's about a 50-50 vote on that. Some doctors say you definitely shouldn't. Others uh, say it doesn't matter at all. And after seeing what you've been able to do with it, it doesn't matter. Is there just be your own best judge so that if you feel the strain on the knees or whatever from doing whatever activity, you know, then stop that activity. Mm-hmm. Just be intelligent with it and stuff. Um, the other, uh, the back doctor, uh, Dr. Mueller, uh, I always get from her to go ahead to go do something, you know, because she can assess where I'm at. And she's the one when she looks at me and she said, I know I'm going to tell you not to do something, but you're just going to go ahead and do it anyway, aren't you? <laughs> so every time I said, you know, so I was going to go and to Jacksonville this weekend. Mm. And I was going to, that was the national series, the start of it. And I was going to, they have this rent and the super down there and I was going to do age group there. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll just go down and do open down there. And I decided not to do it at all. And she was very happy that I skipped that event mm-hmm. just to give my back a rest, you know, and everything to try to, and my shoulder a rest. And I told her I'm doing Greek peak, but I'm doing open and I'm going to modify everything that I do in it because I just want to run, you know, and do it. Yeah, definitely. With it. So, yeah. So, yes, the other doctors, my primary care physician looks at me and says, I don't know how you do it. He golfs with me and he's watched me. One of his, one of our best friends jointly, um, uh, Mike, he's ridden his bicycle across America. He does Ironmans. And when the two of them get together, they go up on my page to see what I've done. Oh, nice. Because neither of them can believe. Yeah, because, well, they've known. They've watched me fall off the greens. You know, they played with me, especially like with my knees, where I could, after 12 holes, no one wanted, we would do a round robin, and no one wanted me for the last six holes because I wouldn't be able to walk or hit (laughs) at all. And, yeah, so it's kind of like, how do you do it? You know, after struggling like that all these years, then all of a sudden you're out doing, the, you know, all this Spartan stuff before. How, how is it? You know, they shake their heads. They don't understand how. Mm-hmm. And it's mind over matter, so to speak. And it, people say, well, now Spartan has given you a new life and stuff. But you know what? Mentally, it's not any easier. I may have the strength now, but when I get up in the morning, I still have to drag my ass to the gym because I wake up and when I go down the steps in the morning, I have to go down one step at a time because my knees are frozen. Mm -hmm. Even though they're there, 
it takes me a little bit to get them moving. My back is stiff. It takes a little while to get my back flexed and everything. And it's so easy just to go downstairs on the couch and pick up the iPad and just kind of whatever, play a game or look at Facebook or whatever and just stay there mm-hmm. and not back to sleep or something. It's so much easier to do that than to go to the gym. But I have a, another friend, Jennifer, who, and don't ask me why, but she got me into beach body. Okay. You're familiar. Sean T, you know, Sean T workouts. Well, I do that Monday through Friday with her at six o'clock in the morning. And it's kind of like, I figure, well, if I do that, and that's the only thing I did all day, at least I had a, a short, a short, good workout done. Mm-hmm. With it. At least I got that in for the day. And sometimes when I'm feeling really good, I'll go out and run before I do that 6 a.m. workout if I'm feeling really good. Or afterwards, I'll go and do it. Okay. So, so. Nice. So there's different motivating factors, you know, using other people is kind of good because you don't want to disappoint people. Mm -hmm. So uh, with like with Jen doing that, it's like, well, she's expecting me there at six o'clock to go on to Zoom, you know, and do the Shanti with her. And Saturday, so the guy, I enjoy working out with the guy. So we all kind of get together on Saturday morning. And my dog is looking at me on a Sunday wanting to go run. So you have all these kind of pre-scheduled things mm-hmm. with you that are already set up and stuff. And I think, you know, mentally that's what kind of keeps me into it too. Because it would be easy to give up and not do it. Yeah. No, I think you're doing phenomenal. And And one thing I want people to get out of this is that so many times we're told by a lot of people around us that like, you know, you can't do something for a number of reasons. And I love that you didn't listen to any of that. And you're just like, screw you. Yes, I can. And I'm going to, and you know, yeah. you did it because you had the drive. Yeah. It sometimes some of the people closest to you tell you not to do it, mm-hmm. which has happened. Definitely, and it causes issues, big issues with it. And so you end up having to deal with those. Um, I guess I could go down this one path if you want. Go for it. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, You ready? Okay. So all through this with all through this with my wife. the dynamics are that I'm sick and it's only been a year where I really started feeling better. I mean, to where I can really go and do things now. And so with taking on the Spartan has eradicated the relationship. Um, the first one was kind of okay, but then I, September, I go to do the citizens bank and a flurry of arguments ensue. And then in October, I go do the super and it gets worse. And then I go to Spartanburg and it's all hell breaks loose. And is it Spartan? No. Is it the dynamics? Yes. Is it um, which people have seen before where someone changes? And how do you deal with um, you've changed for the better and the person who's supposed to be close to you hates your guts because of what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And so you have this other mental uh, beast so to speak, to deal with on it. And it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough because now we go into 2019, I hurt my shoulder. I hear that all the time and I'm going out to do races. And um, I mean, it's, it, you, you don't want to talk about it anymore. And you separate. 
And so the separation's there. Uh, oh, one thing that's interesting out of this is that um, in Spartan, I think it creates a family for you and probably in everything that's occurred with me and everything, especially with, with the relationship and everything, it's something I've gravitated towards, embraced, so to speak. There's a gentleman from Germany, Werner, W-E-R-N-E-R, who up on Facebook I've kind of friended and uh, we've bantered a little bit and uh, so I'm there, okay, where are you going to race? Where can we race together? And so we picked Ireland. And that's Memorial Day. I'm hoping my shoulder is back in shape. But we've, he has a good sense of humor like I do. And so we've kind of really gone out against each other a little bit, you know, on the fun side up on Facebook. And there's another gentleman, David Craig, and I hope he doesn't mind I mention his name. but. Um, He's kind of been on the sidelines on Facebook watching this. Okay. And he said, he said, you know, Werner's a world champion. And, and Werner says his wife's a world champion. But I'm going to do an open super against them. And so I told him, well, I'm going to have to bring the grease. And make sure I stay in front of you so I can grease the rings and ropes as I go through. <laughs> and I need all the advantage I can get. Oh, That's so, awesome. Yeah. So, I, but it's those, it, it, I guess it's those situations and everything that they create. And of course, Spartan, well, you saw the Spartan story. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. They did the New Year's resolution. That was kind of funny because they put up about wanting stories and um, I answer and they yeah, come on in. And uh, my company's office is in Manhattan. And Spartan, of course, is in Manhattan. So I spent the morning at the office and went down Spartan in the afternoon and did the filming. And one of the guys, uh, I walked in with one of the other guys that was doing the filming. And we were talking and everything. And uh, he had uh, gone through uh, drug rehab and stuff. But Spartan was kind of his out okay. from the drugs and stuff. And so I think it was a, a couple of weeks later, I get an email from this guy at work. And he said, I heard you met my son. His son was the one with the drug problem. Oh, wow. And you Spartan. Yeah, small world, huh? That's crazy. With it. Yeah, so it was just kind of funny how it all, things in life kind of circle around and everything That's with funny. it. But, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you go through and that's it. I guess that's the other mental aspect. If you go through mentally, one of the things that's going to just like whether it's drugs, alcohol, or even like this and exercise, your other friends are going to hold you back. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the bar scene. Everyone is drinking together and comfortable together because they're in that same pool. And what's going to happen, it, you're, you're probably going to have to make some new friends mm -hmm. with it. You know, unless if you're the odd person out or you have a bunch of friends already who are already doing some type of, I don't know what you want to call it, in-depth, high-intensity type of exercise or something like that. And that's where that's where that kind of that beach body and those other things uh, type of programs work because everyone's supporting each other in doing that. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, so you need that support. You definitely need the support and you look for the support mm -hmm. on it. So that's where, that Saturday morning at the gym, that's my support group yep. local that I have. I get to see all them and we're all working toward the Spartan race or whatever. And it's one gentleman brings his 16 year old son in to work out with us. Nice. And I, I'm there. Yeah, it's nice, but boy, he, he does what we do. And, you know, he doesn't have the muscles at all, you know, and I'm there. I keep seeing him come. He doesn't come every week because his dad doesn't, but when he comes, he's there with his dad and stuff. And I'm like, 
you're a trooper, you know, at that young, but it's good. See, his dad's teaching him. Yeah, definitely. You know, resiliency. It's, you know, he's, you know, because you end up in bad places. You can't help it. And whether by accident or you make wrong mental decisions, but if you have a good foundation, like my dad provided me in the wrestling, provided me, you have you you have a, a focus point to go back on, to center on, to pull yourself out of. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the big thing. And if you don't create one, create a focal point that you can go back to, something that that you know you're rewarded, and you kind of come come through, because that's what you're going to need for those bad days that you have. Yeah, totally, totally. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think you covered pretty much everything that I was going to ask you in your stories. So um, it was great to talk with you. And I, you know, you have such a great mm-hmm. uh, mindset and just outlook on life in general. And so I'm really excited to get you on here and share your story with everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you very much. You're Enjoyed welcome. Enjoyed it. Good talking. And that concludes this episode of Highly Functional. I truly appreciate the time you spend to listen to myself and my colleagues share with you how to become highly functional individuals and how to be highly functional individuals. If you learned great information from this, I would love for you to share it with your friends and help them become highly functioning individuals as well. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.